This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You Show with Adol Kosilski and Faggy Stern. Good morning, good morning, and welcome to the Healthy You, Wealthy You Show. I'm Adol Kosilski and sitting right next to me, in fact, so close, baby. <laughs> <laughs> we really want people to be able to hear us. Absolutely. We are in studio today and really super excited to have a guest that we have had on previously, and that is none other than Richard Sutton. Um, we've had such interesting conversations with him in the past, and today we are going to be speaking to him again, and particularly we are going to be talking about the power of resilience. Mm-hmm. And this is a, a, a subtopic of a book he has just written called Thrive, uh, Richard is the founder of Sutton Health, a performance and health consultancy, personal excellence and performance realization of key areas in his consulting work, which is process driven, adaptable and attainable through lifestyle and behavioral changes. Richard works with companies, CEOs, industry leaders and individuals to cultivate positive change and aspirational success. And as you probably all know, as I do, he has published bestsellers called The Stress Code and Stress Proof. So without further ado, good morning, Richard. Hello. Hello. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. We're very excited. We're really excited. And I'm going to ask you the first question. Why another book? What, what brought you to bring another book after your, your, your two bestsellers? (laughs) <laughs> I think I think it's a bug that just once it bites, just the acquisition of knowledge and the dissemination of knowledge is just something that becomes so in, in, entrenched in who you become and and what you are and what you represent. So um, it's it's I, I don't know if it's a, a negative compulsion or a positive one, but um, it's it's very much in my blood and I really I really kind of feel extremely fulfilled um, in the process, but. Why another book? Because there was always another book. Um, it was always, it was always really a journey of self-actualization. So, you know, when people ask me why stress, uh, the, the answer I give them is because if we want to be the best version of ourselves, we want the best family we can have, or we want to be the best team. Um, ultimately we got to be able to manage our stress and, and navigate the challenges that we confronted with at that given point in time. And without being able to manage our stress, we can't self-actualize and we can't uh, be the best version. Uh, at the next book was was very much around, you know, I'm part of a family unit, I'm part of a team, I'm part of a group, and my success and and my well being is inextricably linked to the people around me. And if I'm not able to support them and create the right environment for the people that matter most in my life, I'm not going to be able to live up to my potential and I'm not going to allow them to live up to their potential. So the next book was about how do I need to lead the people around me? Um, how do I need to move the needle, create the buffers and the protections? The third part of this, the series, and there's more, there's actually still, still going to be more. <laughs> We're um, looking forward. <laughs> um, so, but the third part of the series is, is this, this realization that we're living in a very complex reality. Um, it's uncertain. It's challenging. Uh, just when we think things are kind of back to normal, they're not normal and, and greater challenges are on the horizon. And I think that it's really important to acknowledge this and prepare ourselves with a set of skills that will make us more successful in, in this very uncertain and, and very daunting future that we all live in. 
So that was the resilience piece saying that I'm going to get knocked down a hundred times in, in the next couple of years, in, in my lifetime at least. And I've got to get up 101 times, but not at the same level that I've got knocked down. I've actually got to get better and better and better every time I stand up. Um, so that the blows and the knocks are, are not, um, a limiting factor in my life, but actually an enabling factor in my life. And so resilience really is a kind of that bridge between potential and performance. Um, between what we're capable of and the realization of these, 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 um, inherent abilities. So then to ask the question, give us a definition of resilience because, you know, the word is thrown out a lot. I think people kind of got an idea. It means just to wave through stuff, like to just have the guts to move through difficult things. What is the definition of resilience for you? Well, I'm not going to use the dictionary definition because it's very one-dimensional, but I'll give you a little bit of background. So the background is is very much that for many decades, resilience was believed to be mental toughness, emotional suppression, grit, persistence, like very fixed traits. And you either had them or you didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was believed that the harder your childhood and the harder your experience in life, the more resilience you had, and which is proven not to be the case. But the reality in the, the last five to 10 years is our understanding of resilience has, has grown exponentially. It has grown immeasurably. And our understanding now is, is very much that resilience is about the ability to adapt, the ability to change, the ability to morph to any given situation. So the ability to adapt to stress, pressure, challenge, change, uncertainty, mentally, physically, and emotionally. So if we are able to change, we are able to thrive. We are able to become successful in any given situation, in, in any endeavor that we choose to engage in. Genetically, would one person be more predisposed to having the resilience than another? So adaptability, there is a genetic component. Um, and, and there's many resilience skills. So adaptability is one of 15 skills. But that's a principal thing that, or the principal trait that creates our capacity to be successful in an uncertain future, this ability to change, and it's instantaneous. It's not in over weeks or months. It's in real time. Uh, so from a genetic standpoint, there are very large contributions. Um, there's about 13 genes that have a, a very strong influence on the way we behave in, in stressful situations, um, the way we're able to overcome or not overcome stressful situations. And, it, and these genes influence certain key molecules, some of these molecules are ones that we know of, like dopamine, which is very much about drive and motivation and grit and persistence and and the cognitive elements and those external factors in our life. And we've got other molecules like serotonin, which are, are very much about like the emotional integrity and emotional stability and cognitive flexibility and, and other facets like that. And then we have finally, um, well, I wouldn't say finally, there's many others, but we've got a molecule that is a protein. It's, it's a neurotrophin, a certain protein that like is responsible for the structure and integrity of the brain. And, and this particular molecule, um, is fundamental to adaptability. So there's lots of like converging elements that come together from a neurochemical set that will support us in the behaviors that need to be adopted in order to overcome the challenges that we are facing. And a lot of these are genetically determined. But when it comes to genetics and environment, that's another story altogether. So just to just to finish off the the idea of genetics, are you saying that there can be a situation where a person um, just just physiologically will not produce enough serotonin because they've got 
a recessive gene or a defective gene or, or whatever it is, that there is that physiological um, situation where come what may, if they don't go and take some nutraceutical or, or eat properly or, or do all the other things we're going to talk about, they already are not on, on the right base to start. Is that what you're saying? I think that from a contextual perspective, um, well, let's use serotonin. So if someone doesn't express enough serotonin or transport enough serotonin or uptake enough serotonin or express too much serotonin, it can lend itself to, to challenges. And those challenges are not limitations. They are sensitivities to environment. And by being more sensitive to environment, the environment is hostile, environment is, is difficult and challenging and um, provides insecurities to the individual, they're not going to be able to self-actualize. They're not going to be able to be the, the version of the person that they can be. The greatness that exists within is not going to be expressed to its fullest extent. So, so yes, we, we can be born with these variants. Um, these variants could express certain outcomes in this molecular space in, in these different molecules. And by doing so, create greater sensitivities. And if those sensitivities are not managed, um, we will not be the best version of ourselves given a current set of circumstances. But here's the thing is that if, if they can be managed, if we can create the right environment for an individual who is hypersensitive to environments, love, care, support, encouragement, healthy foods, healthy environment, healthy diet, uh, nutraceuticals, exercise, activity, basically kind of take them to a place and a space that is, is safe and, and supported and that you have a certain health infrastructure, so to speak, that variant that was a negative facet in their life becomes actually um, a positive factor and they can supersede their expectations and and certainly the possible genetic limitations. And my my point is is really that when it comes to genes, one always has to factor in environments. I think environment really is is the difference between success and failure. We're talking to Richard Sutton and we're discussing his new book, Thrive, The Power of Resilience. This is an interesting conversation and you need to continue listening because there is going to be much that I believe you are going to learn. This is 101.9 High FM. This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kosilski and Fagy Stern. Welcome back, and we're talking to Richard Sutton, who has just written a new book called Thrive, The Power of Resilience. And we just spoke before the break about genetics and the genetic components but what I'm hearing loud and clear, Richard, is that it's the epigenetics, everything around us. You know, we can't just blame it that we uh, inherited from our grandmother a low dose of serotonin. There's so much that we can do to maximize ourselves. So let's go through some of those areas. And maybe let's start off with discussing, does the way I, I, I ate and the way I behaved and what I got as a child does that affect me now as an adult? So the way you behaved and the way you ate, to, I don't think to a major extent. I think that we bring some personality um, traits and certain characteristics into adulthood, and whether they're relevant or not, that's another story altogether. Um, the foods we ate as a kid, um, maybe we would not be the healthiest adult if we kind of lived on junk food as, as a child, but we can reverse that. It's all reversible. It's all modifiable. The big challenge in childhood is your 
your environment from an emotional perspective, from a support perspective. And if we grow up in an environment which is very abusive physically, um, or we incur injuries and traumas and have to have surgeries, it affects our stress coping mechanisms later in life. And, and it will remain um, that way unless we fundamentally kind of put a roadblock in the way. So what happens is if we've experienced physical uh, physical trauma of, of any kind, and that includes sexual trauma as well, um, our stress responses will be disproportional. So if we encounter something that is difficult in our life, we react radically and in this in this way that is one not conducive to our well being, but certainly not conducive to overcoming the challenge. Hmm. The the increase in the expression of our stress axes and stress responses then results in immune system that becomes chaotic and, and becomes um, very aggressive, and we predispose ourselves to autoimmune conditions. So the physical traumas and physical abuse and all, all those kind of physical facets as a child during the formative years can actually manifest in one, this inability to manage our stress from a, from a magnitude perspective. But the, the second part of this is that our immune system can become so dysregulated that we predispose ourselves to chronic disease. But then we also have a challenge in that we, by being so disproportionately activated in stressful situations, which occur every single minute of every single day, um, we start developing adrenal insufficiency disorder. So we feel very lethargic and very tired. It's very hard to get moving. We can't kind of really regulate ourselves in, in any positive way. And this is something we must consider. Like if you did grow up in an environment that was abusive physically, this could be the, the hangover of that experience. Now, neglect has a different... Sorry, can I just ask you, interject here, why are you not mentioning emotional abuse? Because sometimes... I'm about to, I'm going to go emotional and I'm going to go... (laughs) You're one step ahead. All right, right. I'm slowing down. So so now we've got another scenario that plays out, and that is neglect. Neglect Mm -hmm. and emotional abuse. And they have the same footprint, same physiological, and and physiological to be emotional as well. So if we grew up in an environment where it was very emotionally abusive, um, whether it was conscious, it was uh, subconscious, overt, it was atmospheric, whatever whatever it is, if we grew up in an environment that was very abusive, um, our ability to regulate stress responses would become very, very compromised. And what I mean by that is that it might take you a while to get stressed, but when you do get stressed, you cannot shut down. So something that happens on a Monday morning will still be ever-present on a Tuesday afternoon from a biological standpoint. So any stressful events, calming oneself becomes the big challenge. So that is with emotional abuse and with neglect. That is the signature of that set, the, the psychological space as opposed to the physical space. Mm. But then you've got a third scenario, a third scenario that plays out. And that third scenario talks to growing an environment where there's a lot of uncertainty, you don't know if you're going to be evicted from the place that you're living in. You don't know if there's going to be a Friday night dinner. You don't know if you've got enough means. You don't know if your parents are going to be together. You don't know if what, as a child, you, you just have no, no safe space, no safe environment. And it's a reality of so many children right now. You also combine that with a very similar set, and that is constant threat where you might grow up in an alcoholic home where there's everything's fine until you know the second drink and and all of a sudden there's the abusive behavior and it becomes a very dangerous and violent and and unsettling space and place so that has its own unique footprint as well this uncertainty or constant threats and that means or that manifests not means that manifests in 
very reactive individuals where any little thing, you know, the book falls and they're on edge and their stress axis is evoked and it, and it is engaged and you pumping out adrenaline and nor adrenaline and cortisol is flowing and just of the fact that a book dropped or, you know, if someone said something that doesn't quite agree with your position, it, again, it puts you on edge and you basically, you've got this heightened stress reactivity that, that becomes a compromise to one's well-being. And you kind of, a lot of individuals don't have one or the other. They have a combination. So if you grow up in a home of, of tremendous physical trauma, there's going to be neglect and there's going to be emotional abuse and, there's going to possibly be the constant threat elements. And often we kind of, we, you know, when I say we, it's, I say we because at least 50% of, of the population in, in affluent areas is experiencing this, this collective set or individual set. So, so these are facets that we have to understand is that we, where, where we grow up, how we grow up will manifest in, in certain dysregulations and certain challenges later in life. And the only way to become resilient is to acknowledge where this came from. And what we need to do. So let's say we have this inability to shut down our stress responses, which means that we consciously have to train ourselves to when we get stressed is to do our breathing exercises, do our meditation or do our yoga or do our cold immersion or whatever, whatever is your thing. But you have this kind of this, this critical knowledge. You say that this is where I grew up. This is my challenge. I'm not going to be successful in adversity or in change or in uncertainty unless I can get on top of myself, unless I can regulate myself. And this is what I need to do in order to achieve that. And it becomes very much part and parcel of who you are and the habits and the habits form with the realities. Is that then how you explain how someone who has been through so much trauma in their childhood can actually come out stronger than people that have had a normal childhood? So they can, they can become, they can come out stronger or they can come out weaker. It really depends on the journey they take as an adult. So the journey they take now, you've got this opportunity. You have the choice. As a child, you don't have the choice. You're in this environment. You don't have the coping mechanisms. You don't have the skills and you're a byproduct of that environment for a certain period of time. And then you become an adult and you have free choice and you've got the ability to, to live in the past or shape your future. You, there is a choice. At some point in your life, there will be a choice. I want to and challenge those you just a little bit, if I may. <laughs> you said that Heck, at least 50% of people go through trauma. I, I, like, I would want to say at least 95% of people go through trauma because, you know, we live in, in a, a an imperfect world. And the truth of the matter is only right now in the last couple of years, maybe the last decade, there, there's conversation around trauma. And if you really speak to almost everybody, all of us had have had a traumatic upbringing, maybe some of us much worse when it definitely is added on with physical abuse and, and sexual abuse and, and all of that. But I don't think that unless a parent themselves was so in tune and they knew how to create a resilient child, nine out of ten times um, every child gr- grows up with with trauma. Yeah, you're not wrong. It's not a challenge. It's a support of what I'm saying because <laughs> yes. I'm giving you the conservative numbers. So I'm taking like studies in, in very affluent countries and I'm saying that you know, the prevalence of significant traumas in adolescence and, and childhood equates to 50%. But if you look in countries like ours, Southern Africa, um, you're looking at about 85, 90%. So you're not wrong. You're 100% right, actually. Um, it's far higher than what we we acknowledge and what we realize. But the thing is that many of us go through trauma. Many of us go through these very difficult situations. Um, and what really determines our 
ability to navigate those situations, be successful later, is some of the, the factors that existed within the home at the time. So let's assume that the one thing we can't control, let's say the financial uncertainty, COVID, COVID certainly exposed that in many families, constant threats is another thing. So now we can't control those variables. They're external, they're societal, they're social, they're, um, you know, kind of geopolitical in, in many respects. It's, it's happening everywhere across the world. But if you're li- living in a home where, yes, there's constant threats, so technically it would evoke heightened stress responses in children as adults, you know, once they go to adulthood and in childhood. But if you're in a home that is very supportive, very loving, very nurturing, very caring, that places an emphasis on on being in nature, places an emphasis on being part of a unit, places an emphasis on all the positive things in life, that uncertainty and that threat will not manifest in those dysregulations later on. Right. right. So yes, everyone's going through that, but as a kind of a parental body, uh, you've been able to mitigate um, a lot of the imposed challenge um, by creating an environment that's conducive to well-being and resilience ultimately. Okay, so we kind of like have recognized all of us need some tips on resilience. Let's let's start looking at the different areas. So I'm I'm going to say to you, I've grown up, I've had the traumas, I can, I feel myself get dysregulated at times. I get triggered, like you know, and sometimes yeah, it could just be the load shedding. Like load shedding is a trauma for people that just eventually it just becomes too much, and 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 you want to explode. What are the things that we can do? to start gaining that resilience, to start allowing us to navigate through the difficulties of life? So I think that the first, the first thing is a decision. Um, and, and it's, it's easy to say, but it's not, it's, it's not that easy to enact. And the decision is to acknowledge that whatever's in the outside world, whatever's external, um, whatever happened in the past is, is often many times beyond our control. It's the acknowledgement that what I experienced an hour ago is beyond my control. There's nothing I can do about that. But I do have the power to shape my future based on the choices that I make. But I think that one of the strongest skills, so that, that is our starting point. Our departure point is saying I can't control the past, but I can shape my future. That's point number one. The second is is the skill of metacognition. I, I think that there's, I, I outlined this, there's many resilient skills. But the one that has had the most profound effect on me personally in my journey is metacognition. And metacognition is fundamentally self-awareness and mm-hmm. self-control in a nutshell. Self-awareness, self-control. And when we explore this concept, this framework of metacognition, it really boils down to a question, a question in life. So you, you're caught in the traffic you, or you're in a situation where there's conflict with a teacher or there's conflict with a friend or there's conflict with a family member or whatever it is, a challenge with your child whatever that situation may be. And instead of reacting to the situation, being emotional about the situation, um, relying on default behaviors and, and pre-existing patterns of behavior, mm-hmm. one stops, one pauses. And you ask yourself one question. And that question is, what do I want the outcome to be? What do I want the outcome to be following this event or this challenge? What is the ideal outcome? And then from that ultimate goal or aspiration, you can then work back. How do I need to think in order to create that outcome? How do I need to feel in order to create that outcome? And most importantly, how do I need to act? 
So we get, we get confronted with challenges all the time. And our, we have these default responses. The default responses emanate from our childhood. At the end of the day, now teens, is the teenage version of yourself the best and most informed version to tackle the challenge that we're facing now? Yet we rely on those default behaviors in order to engage with the world that we're facing, which is so complex and so challenging. So our natural response to challenge or threats or uncertainty or change or and failures or obstacle is 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 reactive. And we've got to kind of stop and say, this is what I can control. This is what I can't control. What I want the outcome to be. How do I need to act? It is very, very cerebral. Right. But in order to kind of really go down that road, one, there's a lot of practice because you're not going to get it right every time, but you're going to get it right one out of ten and then two out of ten and three out of ten. But Really, it boils down to self-dialogue. Uh, it, a couple of things. Self-dialogue is is one of them. So, from a self-dialogue perspective, often often we get into difficult situations, uh, difficult situations, personal failures, um, personal setbacks, and our, our natural tendency is to beat ourselves up, to absolutely whip ourselves to death. Like it's, how could I've made this mistake? How could I've not seen this? Where could I? You know, have done better. Am I dropping the ball? I'm, I'm no good as a parent. I'm no good as a partner. I'm no good as my professional. I'm no good. And you, you're just having this, like, this absolute kind of potty on yourself in this, in this negative way, negative capacity. And, and ultimately the, the threat is still there. The challenge is still there. And you've got the external challenge and you've got this internal battle. So if we are going to be successful in, in overcoming a challenge, the first thing like we got to do is we've got to shift this dialogue. We've got to actually become our own personal coach and saying, yes, you've made a mistake. Yes, there's this failure. Yes, there's a setback. Yes, this is disappointing. Yes, this is upsetting. Yes, I acknowledge it. I'm not dismissing it. But I've been here before and I've overcome obstacles. I've got a great support system. I can do this. I've, I've got this inner strength. I've got this inner spark. I'm, I'm here to make a difference in the world. It's this positive self-dialogue. And if you can, you know, there's, there's a lot of the athletes are a great window into this experience and, the, uh, Novak Djokovic, you know, the world, I mean, beaten world number one for more than any other planet in, in history, has this incredible capacity. He often goes down in matches to better players, actually, and seems to find his way back. And always the turning point is where he starts having a conversation with himself because our natural response is that negative dialogue. And he, he kind of starts reinforcing, I've prepared for this. I've been practicing for this. Don't give up. Believe in yourself. You can do this. Like, um, you've got a mission in the world and, and it just starts reinforcing the positive. And by reinforcing positive, the reality starts to change and you start becoming more proactive and you start becoming kind of more orientated towards action as opposed to being caught in the spiral of negativity, which leads to paralysis. Um, so I think that's, you know, kind of one of, one of the big, big strengths, one of the big weapons in, in resilience and, and overcoming the challenges of our time is, is really this decision that we need to make, what do I want the outcome to be? How do I need to respond in order to achieve that? What happens if you find a person um, that is so overwhelmed, so stressed by all the outside influences coming in on them, okay, and it just, it's like it's it's a, a rolling ball that gathers more and more moss. So there's all these, uh, you know, outside influences, maybe financial anxiety, load shedding, um, ba- a bad relationship, they're all coming at you. And then the natural default is then I'm going to stop. I'm going to start eating badly. I'm just going to like go for the chocolate. I'm, I'm going to sit on the couch. I have absolutely no energy. And you just like, it just actually gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Like 
you know, I, 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 I appreciate and I, I hear because I'm, I'm a very cerebral person. So I will sit down and use my brain and stop myself. But for a lot of people, they, 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 they haven't got the strength or the ability to go and use that metacognition as the first port of call. So you, you're right. Um, and there's context. So the context is that if you cannot manage your immediate stress responses, you, you cannot engage in resilience behaviors, period. Like that's, it's almost the sequence of the book is like get your stress like right so that you can move on to the bigger challenges of the world and, and be successful in an uncertain future. So in that, in that situation, unless you can govern stress responses, you, you don't move forward. And we often revert to the chocolates and we revert to the junk food and we revert to all of these things because it gives us a temp, temporary kind of shift in our neurochemistry, which gives us a sense of kind of relief, albeit very temporary, but it, it does drop us and sink us to a lower low. And I certainly have been in, in many places, many times where it's all too much. I've got the compounding expectations of, of work and compounding expectations of family. And the, the number one stress in life, the number one stress from a mental health perspective and physical compromise and disease perspective is work, family, conflict. Mm. Nothing comes close. <laughs> yes. So it increases the risk of mental health compromise by plus mine around 170 to 200%. Wow. And it's, Increases the risk of physical compromise by about 90 to 100 percent. I mean, that is like, it's radical. And when you compare it to deadlines and high demands, I mean, you're looking at 60 percent increased uh, compromise in mental health. So we always think it's the, the high demands and deadlines that kills it. It's actually being torn between what your family needs from you and what your and work um, expectation needs from you. So, so I think that the, step one is mm-hmm. is really you have to conquer the stress. And it would be a great, I'm going to explore three strategies after the break, three strategies in context, how to manage stress so that you can actually put yourself on the playing field to make the decisions that are important going forward in life. That are well, well the right there you have it. So don't tune out because I think we all need to listen to that. We all need to recognize that, you know, stress is probably the biggest killer today. And, and the, what, what is happening in the environment and what's happening with us, we do need tools in our box. So stay tuned. This is 101.9 High FM. This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kosilski and Fagy Stern. We're talking to Richard Sutton about his new book called Thrive, The Power of Resilience. And now we're going to get the real medicine. What are the three strategies? What are the three portals that, you know, you, you, you feel are fundamental to building resilience? Fundamental to building resilience. There's, there's many facets, um, in the book outlines 15, but fundamental to moving forward to, to that space is the regulation and management of stress. Now, Stress has, has different faces and they're different contexts. So we can get in a situation, there's load shedding and we have that immediate overwhelm. So we, we, we can't rush off to a yoga class. We can't rush off to a deep meditation. We've got this immediate overwhelm, which we have to solve the problem right now. Or it's going to manifest in our family environments. If we're stressed, our kids get, get stressed. Now, the thing is about stress responses is, there's a gas, carbon dioxide, that when elevated in our bloodstream drives the experience of stress and overwhelm. And if we can manipulate that gas, which we can, hmm. um, and manipulate it really quickly, we can actually discharge a lot of overwhelm, anxiety, stress, and the experience of challenge. 
So it could be in a conf- conf- conflicted situation. It could be in traffic. It could be because of load shedding or whatever your situation is. But there and then, here and now, we need to manage your stress. And it involves one breath. And it's the breath is known as the physiological sigh. So what it involves is all through the nose, the inhales are all through the nose, the exhales through the mouth. It involves an inhale, a very deep inhale through the nose. It involves a second inhale through the nose. And then an exhale. And if we did that on two occasions, we'd have a five minutes window of reduced reactivity and stress based on the fact that we have adjusted concentrations of carbon dioxide levels within the bloodstream and brain. So inhale. But it's only five minutes. You, you don't hold your breath between the inhale and the no. exhale. So inhale, 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 inhale exhale. Exhale. And what that does is it affects the mechanics of the lung in such a way, one, you've got increased capacity, about three to 500% increased lung capacity. But it takes a little sacs in the lungs that fill up with carbon dioxide and it kind of basically lifts them, lifts them, and then you have this expulsion of carbon dioxide and this absolute kind of recalibration of of gas in the right areas within the brain and within the, the peripheral body. And that is probably the most effective technique for the here and the now. Is it going to last with... Uh, in a sustained situation. Oh, um, load shedding for hours, no, but when load shedding starts, no. inhale, inhale, when starts. exhale. <laughs> and when it's late, when they, when they don't come on in time, then yeah. inhale. inhale, inhale we get exhale. so worried when it doesn't go off. <laughs> when it's meant to go off and it doesn't, we get more stressed. Okay. Let's move on to the next one. Okay. So the next situation, the next um, context is that you know what's, you know, you've got exams or you've got your workload for the next two weeks is so overwhelming. You know, you're going into a fight, um, a fight in terms of, of demands from every corner. You know, it's going to be very tough. The expectations are high. You know that you're stretched. So in that situation, the inhale, inhale, it's like it's momentary. It gives you a five minute window on the experience. In that situation, what we need to do is we need to tap into basically the conscious off switch for stress. So stress is normally one of those those systems that's an 80-minute cycle and it's a spontaneous discharge of the experience. In those difficult weeks or, or those even difficult months um, where kind of things are, are too much, the spontaneous process doesn't work and, and we just have a sustained stress response which only ultimately culminates in this overwhelm, this experience that you just, just described earlier where we're on that couch eating chocolates and disappearing and disengaging with the world. But what we need to do in, instead of getting to that point is say that this is going to be a hard period. I've got to shut my stress down consciously every single day because of the demands that are placed on me and the mm-hmm. time of the day that I need to do is always second half of the day. There's no point doing a meditation at the beginning of the day if meditation has a positive effect on your stress axis when mm-hmm. it's the second half of the day that you can't regulate. So uh, although meditation at the beginning of the day is very good, um, that's a different context. So what we have to do is we have to make a decision. The next two weeks, the next three weeks are going to be really tough. I'm going to consciously shut down my stress every single day at 2 or 3 or 4 or 5 p.m. every single day for 15 minutes. Now, to consciously shut down your stress, we need to tap into a system called the vagus nerve. And the vagus nerve operates off a molecule called acetylcholine. And if we can elevate acetylcholine, we, we don't only create calm and shut down our stress response. We actually become more focused, more clear, more driven, and our mental acuity is even greater. So, like, unbelievable. Like, everything works better with acetylcholine at certain levels. 
So we've got this great opportunity. Now you can choose fundamentally, you can choose your activity. So every single day is, well, I really enjoy yoga. We know that yoga is a vagal stimulator. So mm-hmm. 15 minutes of yoga or 20 minutes of yoga. You only need 15 minutes. Or I really enjoy swimming, so I'll get in the pool in the evenings or friends' pool in the evenings or public pool in the evenings or gym pool in the evening, whatever it is. I'll get in the pool in the evening and just kind of float around and, and submerge because we know that when we our head goes underwater, we engage the dive reflex and we'll shut down, we'll regulate. Hmm. Or we can say to ourselves, like, I need to, like, really find my space and I've got this great meditation app and I'm going to meditate now for the next 13, 14 minutes. And that will be your thing. Or you can go into a garden. Like I've got this beautiful garden or my friend's got a beautiful garden or there's this, uh, you know, kind of beautiful space and you can go into that environment for 15 minutes. You've got a 14% reduction in cortisol. There are many different things that you can do, but there's this conscious and deliberate effort to shut down your stress every single day during periods that are tough. Not, not, when, not when you're going to sleep. You're saying like do it at five o'clock in the afternoon. I mean, that's asking. Like, you know, for, for, for parents who are, if the kids have come it's home. the busiest time of the day. the craziest time. Is it not good to have? Well, we're not saying necessary. It's maybe two o'clock, maybe three o'clock. Remember, I've got three kids under five. Mm. I'm not, and I'm very involved. So I'm not a stranger to the complexities of, of the bath time, dinner time. Mm. But I, my time in the day is, is actually at two o'clock that I shut down. Um, I've just chosen that as the time for me. Everyone will be different. I find that before bed is too late. It's got to be in the day, um, somewhere in the day, because by then you're so hot, you're so wide, you can be so overaroused that it is very difficult to actually engage in these activities. I've always been so amazed how people are able to go into like Bikram yoga at one o'clock, they leave their work, stop everything, go to Bikram yoga, have their yoga session and go back to work. I mean, they must, they must achieve even that much more by doing that. that if, if you can afford 90 minutes, unbelievable, but most of us can't. So oh what you do God is you I'm take the bed. <laughs> a, a plunge pool yeah. is two minutes. An ice cold bath you could do it for two minutes, Swall- not fifteen, Adel. Calling <laughs> some acetylcholine is like thirty seconds. Is it taking it as, so, a, as, as a as a supplement? No, no, no. It's it's got to go through kind of a whole kind of systemic process. So yeah. just a chemical going through the or nutrient going through the digestive tract is not going to have the effects that okay, are needed. Okay, I tried, I tried, I tried. Okay, we've got a couple of minutes left. Just give us two minutes of the third thing in, in your toolbox. The third thing is is what you've described. Now, I, I must have about six of those days a year where it is just too much. I've got the kid, one of the kids is sick, the other one's screaming that this one's got too much attention. Then I've got, I've probably made about a hundred errors from a scheduling perspective, which I'm not, uh, um, <laughs> which I'm, I'm very, uh, uh, prone to doing. I've got, I've got competing interests. Some I've forgotten, some I haven't got. And you get these days where you're stretched so far and you're so exhausted, you're so tired, you're so rattled. You've got to regulate. You've got to be that best version of yourself. What do you do? Because you can't meditate. You can't do yoga because you're not there. You're Mm. not present. You will not be present in that situation because the extreme nature of the experience. Now, in that situation, there is only one molecule that you can tap into, and that is neuropeptide Y. Ancient protein, we've had it from the beginning of time. From the beginning of our existence, this protein has ensured that we cope with overwhelm because that's, that's its role. One molecule's job is to manage the experience of overwhelm and anxiety and worry. This is a molecule's role. And the higher this is, the better you can cope. And there's 
a couple of things that you can do that over time will elevate this molecule, but there's only one activity that you can do which instantaneously, instantaneously will elevate this molecule in right, a period of 40 seconds. Well, before you give it to, to us, to... sorry, Richard, before you give it to us, is there a whole bottle that we can take of it? Okay. So tell us, tell us that one thing that can happen. Okay. So the wine, the, the wine, the, now this, you obviously have to be healthy. You've got to have it cleared by your doctor. And that one thing is cold immersion. Yeah. So this is, this would require in the summer months actually going to the garage, buying several bags of ice, putting it in a bath, filling the bath with cold water, getting in there for, provided you're healthy and you don't have any health complications and, and you do this slowly and progressively, 40 seconds to nine minutes and you will reset your, the many days have had to do that where you have to recalibrate and for 40 seconds to now, I'm normally the nine minute mark. I'll get into a cold, submersive water environment or submerse myself in a, in a cold water environment. And by doing so, I literally kind of rewrite the script for the rest of the day. And it's all based on this one molecule. But you've got a whole host of other molecules. You, you increase your dopamine. So you get out the bath one hour later. The first hour, you're a bit foggy and you're a bit kind of like you're trying to heat up. But you get out of this cold environment and now you're more motivated. You're more driven. You've got greater goal orientation. You kind of, all these, because you've elevated your dopamine and norepinephrine, like all of these things that you lost because of the overwhelm come back with intensity and with, with another gear on it. So, so we've got that as an option. Do you have to do it every day? Definitely not. It's, it's insanity to do it every day. I mean, I do it every day, but that's, that, that's, that's insanity. That's the nature of my, who I am. But, but the reality is that, you know, there are those times where, you know, once it's easy, you just get into a friend's pool or your pool if you have one or whatever, outdoors and you 40 seconds and, and you'll literally, you'll, you'll correct the situation for the day. And, um, it's, it's just amazing how much knowledge we have in the space. And if we apply this knowledge, you know, it's all complex out there, but if we can create simplicity and create the right habits, it's, it's all about knowing oneself and controlling oneself in order to create the outcome that we want for our lives. Is it safe and healthy for children to go into an ice bath? Well, I'm going to stick them all into the ice bath. <laughs> I, I don't think you're going to get a child into an ice bath. Um, so, no, I know of a guy if, in California, actually, his child's <laughs> autistic and really has a lot of um, anxiety, and he goes into an ice bath daily. It's really helped him a lot. Yeah, so, the, so the neuropeptide Y reduces anxiety, so that, that would be one of the things. But but it's very difficult for a kid. I mean, the, the funny thing with, with kids is they can handle the cold a lot better than we can for a number of different reasons. One is brown fat, but... But um, we are the ones who become sensitive to to the cold. And at the, we set the pace. The calmer we are, the more kind of we hold our ground, the, the, the more we can create a serene environment, the better our kids will be at the end of the day. Like we, yeah. we really have this, this powerful influence on environments which we, we have to leverage off. So I think first step in this journey, get, you know, get yourself right so that you can make a difference to everyone else that's important around you. 100%. And I think the second step in the journey after you finish listening to us is to go out and get the book Thrive, The Power of Resilience. I've got a copy in front of me. I can see it sold at Reader's Warehouse and I'm sure at all other Bookshops, and I think it's 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 been a fascinating conversation, and I think we've literally touched the the tip of your. I'm I'm ready to sit and speak for the next hour. I mean, there's so much information. (laughs) We're going to get you back on again, and we maybe have to go through all 15 steps. Um, I'm not sure about the ice bowl. I'm going to have to cancel my solar heating on my pool, but. Definitely, I think that that you know it does resonate, and I think it is important that everybody 
um, has tools in their toolbox to become more centered, to become more focused, to become more present. Because if you just allow yourself like to be open and just allow all what's going on around us, come here to get us. You do, you do, you, you crumple up. It could I'm, also be as simple as just starting to learn how to breathe in those difficult situations, which only takes two minutes. Thank you, Richard, for your time. Thank you for scheduling us into, into your very, very, uh, busy space. If somebody wants to get hold of you, how can they? Uh, online, best way to get hold of me, just go to my website and um, you can get hold of me through there. Great. Thank you again. And we really, really appreciate your wisdom and, uh, and, and the way you tell it. It's been fascinating. Thank you so much. This is 101.9 High FM and you've been listening to the Healthy You, Wealthy You show. Thank you.